0: When late at night, I was walking down the Hermon I walked down the holy mountain, down in the valley, in a very dangerous mission. And I couldn't think of anything else to say. Even I walk in the valley of death. I don't fear evil. I know you're with me. And he was singing my melody. So friends, whenever I sing this melody, I see this holy soldier walking down. All the angels, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob walking behind him. Mashiach in front, Elia Novi on the side. Six million behind them. Join me softly. Come, keep. Salem, I bet lo, Thanks for coming. Um, before we begin, just uh, sponsors for this week. Um, the uh, shir this week was sponsored by Mrs. Leah Presser. Thank you. And this is in honor, L'zecha Nishmas, in memory of her father, whose site is going to be this coming Sunday on the 7th of Shvat. Shleim Azalman Hakoyen ben Reb Tzvi Weiss. May his neshama have a very, very great aliyah. To the greatest of heights, may he be, may let's share and bring a lot, a lot of merit and brachis down to you, and to your mishpacha. Um, Another dedication this week was by Rabbi Eleazar Frankel, and this is in honor of his birthday and his son's birthday. His son's birthday was just... um, the 29th of Tevis, which was yesterday, Yeshua Yitzchak. And his birthday is going to be on the 3rd of Shvat, just tomorrow night. May they both have a wonderful, wonderful good year. Much mazel, much blessings, only good, only, only, only wonderful things. Barachava, gesund, and nachas, and only good. Thanks so much for that dedication. Last but not least, the Shir and the CD this week was dedicated by Rabbi Moshe Weiss and his family. This is in honor of his, or in memory of his mother, Allah Hashalam's yard site. Mrs. Miriam Weiss, Rabbi Weiss's wife, Miriam Weiss, whose yard site was today, Miriam Bas Alta Mordechai, on the first of Shvat. May her neshama have a wonderful, wonderful, big aliyah and so many chusim that the Weiss family have for all the good that they've done, especially in this community and really across the world. May Hashem uh, elevate her soul to the greatest of heights. May she be a male yosher and channel lots of brachas down to you and your mishpacha. For only good mazel, gesund, nachas from the children, good health, and only... only um, revealed good. Thank you so much for this dedication. This week we are in a very special parsha as we're going to study parsha's zboi, the third parsha in Sefer Shmois. The, the Torah tells us about the last three plagues, the last three Makkahs. After the plague of Choshech, which is the plague of darkness, um, Paro is literally on his knees already. But he's still holding on to just a thread of, of uh, stubbornness. And he's ready to negotiate for everything. He negotiates with Moshe and um, that he allows the Jewish people to leave and this time even with the children. Take the children. But he wants to hold on to the animals. He says, just the animals. Let me keep the animals over here. And Moshe Rabbeinu tells him, I'm sorry, we're going to go with all of our belongings, including our animals. Even one hoof of one animal, one leg of one animal will not remain in Egypt. Not only that, does Moshe say, not only that, but even you will contribute. You will give of your animal, your livestock, you'll um, send us off with gifts and livestock that we should offer to our God when we leave. Okay? Um, And Paro throws a fit. I mean, he thought he like gave in. And once he heard this, he gets really, really angry. And he says to Moshe, words that he's never said before. He says, don't you dare ever walk in here again. Because the day you walk in, the day you see my face, you will die. Um, Moshe responds to Paro, yes, indeed, I will not see your face ever again, which means I will not come to see you. It's at that moment that God appears to Moshe, a prophecy comes to Moshe, as he is standing in front of Paro, and he relates to Paro, and he has to tell Paro this, Communicating or channeling, saying this prophecy to Paro, in which he warns him of the last uh, and most devastating plague, the plague of the firstborn, makas b'chores. So he's so he's telling Paro about what's what's going to happen. And in while Hashem is telling Moshe about one more plague, I will deliver to Paro. And again, Moshe has to relate this to Paro. Hashem adds in this in this. Um, in this, uh, in this communication, in this prophecy, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, commanding him something. He says, Please speak in the ears of the people. That every person should ask from their fellow. And a woman should request from her friend. They should ask from their neighbors and their friends for... Silver vessels and golden vessels for jewelry, for clothing, uh, so that the Jewish people should not lay, leave empty-handed. So they should borrow whatever they can take along with them and say, "We need, since we're going out to serve our God, we have to be in our dressed in our finest." And being that we're a poor um, people enslaved, we need you to give us what you have. And then the Pasik says that God actually did that. Ha'am be'inei mitzrayim, that Hashem gave the charm of the people in the eyes of Egypt, which means that suddenly the Jewish people found charm in the eyes of the Egyptians, which is an absolute, absolute, phenomenal miracle that doesn't make any sense. Because the Egyptians hated the Jewish people to begin with for the last 200 years. As it says two weeks ago in the parasha, they were disgusted by them. This is before the Jewish people harmed them. This is just the Jewish presence in Egypt. After the nine plagues, where the Jewish people brought such horrific destruction and devastation to to Paro and to the Egyptians, so much suffering, we can only imagine how that increased their despicability. They, They utterly despised them and hated them. So, so at this moment, like what are the chances that when they will come and ask for a favor, please loan me something, that I'll loan them. And here the Hashem gives the charm of the people. And suddenly the Jewish people were the most charming. And the Egyptians were so taken kind of with awe and admiration for the people. And they ran and they gave them everything. As the passage later describes again, this is when Hashem is commanding it. And then later in the Parsha, it repeats it over again that um, it was when it says Vehi when it was at midnight and the plague happened. Um, it says right over here, Ubine Yisrael var Moshe, verse 35 in paracute Yud Yisrael var Moshe, The Jewish people did as Moshe commanded. And they borrowed from the Egyptians and they borrowed from the Egyptians Silver utensils, golden utensils, smaller, and clothing. And God gave the charm of the people in the eyes of Egypt, and they loaned them. And the Jews emptied out all the wealth, all the possessions of Egypt. That's what it says. So this is repeated two times. Now, the truth is, it's re- it actually says already a first time in Parsha Shamos, in the first conversation that Hashem has with Moshe Rabbeinu by the burning bush, by the snap over there too Hashem describes what's going to happen and Hashem says that the Jewish people are going to ask for, 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 the, for the jewelry and, and Egyptians are going to give it to them. So this is something repeated three times in the Torah. Obviously this is extremely, extremely important if the Torah makes such a big deal. And we need to understand why. So the general idea of why the Jewish people needed to go out with the great wealth well, the Jewish people worked backbreaking labor for 210 years, or whatever the time. They didn't work the full time, but let's say uh, uh, whatever whatever the period of the slavery itself was after Yosef and the, and the and the and the and the others died. It was a very very long time, and they did not get paid. And a Jew should not work without payment. So ultimately, payday came. So the Egyptians had to pay them. But the question is why, and that's why um, when. And it was and, and, and Hashem was going to make sure that they were going to pay them to every last nickel and dime. The question, however, is why did it have to come in this particular way where the Jews would have to ask them to borrow their their their, their jewelry and their wealth and 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 then kind of leave with the goods. Why did it why did it happen? Now, I mean, they could have just taken them, especially as we know by the plague of darkness, uh, when the Egyptians were paralyzed. They were in their homes, because we know that the Rashi says the last three days of the darkness, the darkness was so thick and so dense that the Egyptians actually couldn't move. They were paralyzed. And wherever a Jew went, he had a bolt of light going along with them that only, only the Jew can see and not the Egyptian. So at that time, they were able to see everything. So they could have just taken the possessions. So if you're gonna argue and say it's an aspect of morality that we shouldn't or something ethical they shouldn't take unless they're given but it wasn't too moral in the first place anyways because they borrowed it and they never gave it back. So it's not like you can say that it was an ethical thing that they shouldn't steal so they, in the end they stole the, they stole the wealth from Egypt anyways. Now in truth it's not stealing because they owed it to us. We only took what really belonged to us because they owed us back wages For all the work that the Jewish people had worked. So we can understand it. If that's the case, so why did it have to happen in a way where they would have to ask them? And Hashem has to go out of his way, so to speak, to make another miracle, which we know Hashem generally doesn't like to temper with nature, and to make such a big miracle that the Egyptians should, that the Jews should find favor and be charming in the eyes of the Egyptians, the Egyptians should give it to them. Couldn't we take it in another way? Especially since, you know, the fire is burning under the Jewish people to get out of Egypt. They suffered so much, they just wanted out. As the Medrash actually says, when Moshe Rabbeinu told the Jewish people to borrow the utensils and take the wealth of Egypt, the Jews didn't want to do that. They just said, let's get out of here. So, the fact that Hashem is asking, and, and again, just to take it, they... We understand Hashem says, I don't want Avram to have complaints to me that my children worked in vain. So if they just have to get paid, let them take the goods and go. The fact that, why did it have to come in a manner where they had to ask them and the Egyptians had to give it to them? And we see that again, both in regards to the ordinary Egyptians, that the Jews had to ask for the money and the Egyptians gave it to them. And secondly, in regards to Paro himself, Moshe Rabbeinu also says it to Paro, you too, will give, make a big contribution, as you will take your animals, those that survived the earlier plagues, you will take your animals and send it along with us. Why is this so fundamental? Now, we did have a share about this a couple of years ago, but uh, today we're going to see and understand this from a different angle. Now, um, okay, so to understand this, let's rewind to the beginning of the Parsha. As mentioned earlier, this is a very fundamental Parsha. This parsha is the parsha of the Exodus of going out of Mitzrayim, which, if you have to probably enumerate five most important parshias in the Torah, this has got to be from the five top, top five. Um, let's think. You know what would you put as the top? I mean, of course, obviously from our eyes, because from the perspective that the Torah is utterly divine and godly, we can't measure what's more important, what's less important. But from our Limited perspective as we look at things and evaluate things with our with our with our vision, you would have Bereshis, the story of creation. Lech Lecha has got to be really big. This is the first Jew, the first journey of spreading God's light light in the world, and then probably we would go to Parsha's Bo, which would be the next highlighted parsha, the parsha of the going out of Mitzrayim. Here's where the Jewish people were born as a nation. And we became God's people. The next one would, of course, be Yisro, the giving of the Torah. And if we have to choose a fifth one, I don't even know if any of others can. Maybe Vayeschanon, that has the Shema and again the Ten Commandments, something like that. So this is a very, very important parsha. And we know that the name of a parsha entails its essence. The name Torah tells us that the name, the Hebrew names, the Torah names are very fundamental. Things are not just named randomly. So the name of a person, the name of an object, is deeply connected to the spiritual etymology, the spiritual um, nature of that particular entity. So the question over here is, that why would the name of Parsha, that is talking about the going leaving of Mitzrayim, be called Parsha's Bo? Bo means come, or as Rambam refers to it as Bo, as pa- Bo el paro, to come to paro. Now just those words, come to paro, seems not only doesn't it seem like just a random name, it has to do with the first couple of words, and doesn't express any of the idea of, of liberation, freedom, geula, something like this. Now let's just understand one more thing. The redemption of Mitzrayim is not just the redemption of Egypt. Because all the Goliaths, all the exiles, are called Egypt. And the, the, the sages say, because Shem Mitzirim israel, because they cause inks, they cause pain to the Jewish people. So Yitzias Mitzrayim really means going out of all limitations, all boundaries, all suffering, ultimately the coming of Mashiach, the going out of this current exile momentarily. And it's really, really rooted where In Yetzius Mitzrayim, as we know, that that's the key to all the redemptions. So Parsha's boy is not just a powerful redemption in the past, but Parsha's boy is the most exciting Parsha. This is Yetzius Mitzrayim. This is the going out of Egypt and the going out of the current exile as well. So what is the meaning? Boy, come! Boa al come to... Especially Boa al come to Parai. What does that say? Not only doesn't that seem to express redemption, it seems to be a total opposite. It's a total contradictory theme. Because why? Going to Paro instead of getting away from Paro. We were trapped in Paro's clutches for all this time. Paro didn't let us leave. Contrast that with the next Parsha, Bishalah. That's a wonderful parsha. That's a good name. Bishalach Paro, Paroi sends the Jewish people off, away. Bo means getting closer, going into Paro. Why are we going to Paro? Not only that, Boha Paro means you're coming to Paro into his palace. Paro is in control. In the beginning of the Parasha, Paro still has some control. Moshe has to come and plead his case. Paro is going to decide to let them out or not. Good. God is manipulating his heart, making his heart Um, um, He's a pawn in Hashem's heart In Hashem's hands And Hashem is playing with his heart True But after everything is said and done He has the decision to make To let them or not to let them Moshe has to come down To Paro to request permission That is showing how Paro is in control At least to whatever degree and that's, that's expressed in the name. And what is the idea of the parasha? How paro is decimated, broken, he has no control, he's running around the middle of the night in pajamas. So how in the world is that the name of the parsha, which is supposed to express the exact opposite? The other thing is, we know that the Torah is eternal. And the Torah is Forever. And that means everything we learn in the Torah has to have meaning, not only as a historical fact of the past, but it has to have meaning currently in our lives. Every parasha I have to ask myself on Shabbos or during the week, what does the name of the parasha, what is the theme of this parasha mean to me and my service of God? My service Hashem, my avodas Hashem. What does this parasha mean? So the question is, what does Bo el Paro mean to each and every one of us today? Now, back in Egypt, it meant go to Paro. We understand what the message was. Go to Paro. But Paro is not alive anymore. Paro is gone. Egypt is, is a whole different Egypt today. It's not. There's no pharaohs anymore. They're stuff for a museum. It's gone. So what does Bo el Paro mean today? Now, you could possibly argue and say that Paro represents not just a physical Paro. He represents all the monsters in the world, all the evil. There are many, many heirs to Paro, many successors to Paro. People that are, and sometimes we're, in, we're afraid to confront evil. We're afraid, we're petrified of, of a tyrant. And the Torah is telling you, Boal Paro, don't be afraid. You know I'm coming with you, go, don't be afraid. So maybe that's the list. Okay, we can accept that. That the lesson is, go and and, and fight. Fight for what's right. Fight for what's good. Don't be intimidated by Paro. Good. But the Torah is going to be studied, not only now, the Torah is going to be studied in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, forever. And the question is, once Mashiach comes, and there are no more pharaohs in the world. There are no more successors of Paro. There are no, that doesn't exist anymore because Vesruach Khatuma Ave it's the spirit of impurity. Evil will be removed from the world. So then, what does it mean, Boal Paro, come to Paro, when Paro doesn't even exist anymore? Probably a question that you haven't heard by Yashir before. No? Like who thinks about that? What is this Boa Paro going to mean after Mashiach comes? Besides a historical fact, there's no evil anymore. There's no one to confront. So, what does this mean? Boel Paro, come to Paro. Who is this that I have to come and fight? There's no one to fight. And obviously, we understand that the Torah is going to be meaningful. Not only is it going to be meaningful, it's going to be infinitely more meaningful because we're going to see infinitely deeper. So, we can say, well, let's wait till Moshiach will come and we'll find out what, what it means. Okay, can we take a little sneak peek now and see what this Pasuk is going to mean tomorrow after Mashiach comes? Let's try to do that. So here's a phenomenal idea. The Torah tells us that there is a, there is a, there is a statement made by uh, the commentators, especially those that are give commentary that's a little bit more on the Kabbalistic, on the mystical side of things, in which they say an interesting statement: "Hatorah medaberes betachtonim umeramezes The Torah speaks in the physical world, betachtonim, in the lower world, umeramezes, but it is alluding to and it is hinting to bealyonim, to elements that are in the spiritual realms. Meaning, what you see is not really what it is. The Torah is talking about stories. By physical human beings, paro blood boils. It's all true. These are a the story that happened in this physical world, and those boils were itching, the physical flesh of the Egyptians. But there is boils down here, and there is boils up there. There is shchin, whatever it means, in the supernal, in the divine. The first one who makes the statement, I think, is the Rama Mipano, and he says this. Now the Shlaha HaKadosh, a later Kabbalist switches the statement a little bit around, same idea, but a little bit stronger, in which he says the opposite. Not only does the Torah also have a spiritual, higher, godly meaning, a more of meaning than the physical meaning that we study and we learn, but he says the opposite. Torah medaberez be'alyoinim, the Torah speaks in the supernal worlds. Umiramezez betachtoinim, it is hinting to things down here. The story is not even the story that you're you're reading the story over here about what's happening. Bilam goes on a donkey and uh, you're imagining the story and the little kids have coloring books and where they have and they're painting. The story is a very physical story. That's only what the Torah is hinting to. It's alluding to that. It's hinting to that. But the real story is about utterly mystical, abstract, godly ideas that we have no clue. in. So the Torah is really speaking in heaven. And it's hinting to elements in this world. And we can understand that because, to understand something, the Torah is studied not only down here. The Torah is studied in, in Ganeda by souls that are not in bodies. In where the whole reality of this world doesn't exist. They're in a total spiritual world. And what does the Torah mean over there? God Himself studies Torah, no? So what is it? The Torah precedes the world. Pasuk says, 1,000, 2,000 years, whatever that means, 2,000 levels, doesn't mean years because there's no time before creation. The Torah is forever and ever. So obviously you can't say that the Torah means, is limited to the physical version of what it means down here. This is only one manifestation as a manifest in this, in our physical reality, as it's interpreted in our physical reality. But its true essence is God. It's one with Him, and it always was and always will be, and it's utterly spiritual. Completely beyond, it's in heaven. And therefore, all the characters that we read in the Torah, even negative characters, even negative things that we read in the Torah, as they appear in the, trans, in the physical translation, meaning as we find them in this world, they're negative, they're monsters, like Paro. They're tyrants, they're horrible people. But as they exist in their source, in Torah, in the spiritual Torah, in its real, real root, in, its, in, the, in Torah as it is godly, in God there is no bad. So before Hashem created the world, what was what was the story about Paro? You can't say it was about a man called Paro who was a wicked king who bathed in blood of the Jewish children. If, 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 that doesn't exist there. So what is Paro? Obviously some spiritual idea and guess what not bad not ugly not even mundane but godly and holy and here's 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 the big secret that the uglier the being is as it manifests in this world in its spiritual origins of origins it is super super holy and super super godly so the very same idea as it is in its negative is like horrible we're terrified even to think about this person or look at him like a Hitler or whatever. That's in its in its translation into the physical realm where there is a etzadas and a mixture of good and bad and things that are utterly rotten and terrible. In its original story, as it as it's speaking in the divine, it's something very, very holy and very godly. That is true about all the characters in the Torah. Nimrod, the rebel; Paro, the tyrant; Lavan, the con master, con artist; Bilam, all these people; Esav, the wicked brute; Esav. That's the way Esav is down here, but Esav, as he originates in the Torah, is something very holy. That's what interesting Rashi says on Parshas told us Yitzchak. These are the these are the offspring of Yitzchak. Rashi says. Yaakov ve'esav ha'amurim be'parshah. Who are the children of Yitzchak? Yaakov and Esav, who are stated in the parsha. So what does Rashi have to say that? You see, the Torah is going to tell you about his children. Rashi is bothered with a simple question. How does Yitzchak, a tzaddik Yitzchak, end up with a son like Esav? How can such a wicked entity be told those Yitzchak be the descendant of Yitzchak? So Rashi is saying, no, 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 wait. Rashi is saying like this, the, the Esav who is, a, who is the son of Yitzchak is not this brute Esav. The, the Esav who is Yitzchak's son is the Esav that's stated in the parasha. It's a different Esav. It's a very high spiritual entity called Esav. That's Yitzchak's child. Somehow, through some kind of a slippage and a breakage of some kind of a collapse that happens in the spiritual realms... This very, very high, sublime, holy entity called Esav, who is part of the Parsha, somehow falls down and gets messed up, so to speak, and turns into metamorphosizes into Esav, and that's everybody. So now let's take a look at what the Zohar tells us about Paro. So a few weeks ago we actually learned about Lavan. And, and I showed you from a medrash, it's not just a Kabbalistic idea, how the medrash says that Lavan, who is Lavan the wicked, is referring to the most sublime, lava means whiteness, the sublime whiteness of keser, of the, of the divine crown, from where all forgiveness comes from. And yet, Lavan is some distant, distant descendant. Somehow or somehow from that love, obviously they must be connected, because the same Torah is talking about Lavan, and it means the supernal whiteness above, and it means love on our So obviously there must be a connection. Our minds can't fathom how one can be the source for the other, but in some weird, only God knows how way, something like this can translate into something so lowly. Well, the Torah tells us, the Zohar reveals to us who Paro is. And let's figure out who Paro is, and then we'll get a whole different story on what it means Boel Paro, come to Paro. So the Zohar tells us like this, this is a Zohar in Parshas Vayigash, it says when Yosef revealed himself to the brothers, there was a lot of noise because everybody was shocked and they're crying and Yosef was let out a, a, a loud a, a cry when he said, I need Yosef. And there's a big commotion. And the Pasik says, nishma beis paroi. And the voice, the sound of the commotion was heard in the palace. Of who? Paro's palace. So Imagine that. We're talking about this... Paro's palace. Which, if you ever want to know what Paro's palace looked like, you read the medrash. The medrash says that he wanted to terrify his citizens. So when you walked into Paro's palace, you saw literally, first of all, outside those who misbehaved. They were like, looked like the, the ISIS graveyard. It's exactly what it looked like. Decapitated. I mean, disgusting. People hanging. It was like everybody was was notorious. It was terrifying. That's the house of Paro. Now let's take a look at what the Zohar tells us. What does it mean? The voice, the sound was heard to the house of Man. So first of all, the Zohar says, the voice of Yosef and the brothers really means, the Zohar goes on a long beautiful description in, in Zohar, uh, in Parshish Vayigash Tafresh Yud Amid Aleph. It says that when it says, the voice was heard, the Zohar gives you a whole lesson about davening. That when we pray and when we daven, we're supposed to daven with a voice that's not heard. Shmon Esrei we do silently. And the Zohar says, um, anybody that davens and stands in front of his master, he is supposed to make sure that his voice should not be heard in his davening. If you daven loud, you think you're davening loud, so you'll be better heard. If you daven loud, the prayers are not heard. You have to daven quietly. Of course, the Amida. Okay? Because davening is not the voice that's heard. It's not sound that's heard. Because a prayer that is heard is not prayer. What is prayer? Anyways, he says, What's the voice that he's supposed to daven with? The coil that's missing the vav. It doesn't have sound. So he says, and the, and what's the and what's the uh, allusion? What, ha, where do we see the simon for this? We we'll begin kach leitzrich le banash le makol Say a person should not daven loud, but daven quietly. And then it says And what's your simmon? nishma. Which coil is heard on high? Which? So when you look at the word kol, which means voice, it's missing the vav. It's like a kal. A, a prayer that's without a voice there's no sound to it that's, and it brings the example of Chana when Chana prayed from here we actually learn out all the of prayer that you're supposed to daven quietly from Chana's davening it says that her lips were moving but a voice was not heard okay and then the or goes on it's fascinating that this voice that was heard in the house of Parah whose voice is this? So the Zohar goes on to say it's the voice of the Shekhinah that is crying and weeping during the time of exile. Shchinta, doh, This is the Shekhinah, the the bachis that is crying. Alcharev be on the base of Migdash destroyed. Gulus on the Yisrael and the galus of the Yidden. What are we talking about? A voice that's heard in the house of Paro. It's talking about the ultimate voice, the weeping of the mother of all souls, of all the of the of, 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 of the of the Shekhinah that's weeping for the Jewish people for thousands of years. That's the voice that we're talking about, that's heard base paro. And then it goes on to say it's crying on the first base of Mikdash. It's crying on the second base of Mikdash. Whose voice is it really? It's Rachel's voice, Koil Berama Nishma, the voice that's heard on high, Rachel al Albanel. That's the voice that we're talking about. And where is it heard? Where is it accepted? Where, base of Paroi, the house of Paroi. Wow, that's where we want it to be heard in Paro's house. And the answer is, who is Paro? So Paro has a whole different meaning. So the Zayar says, "Tachazi, come and see base Paroi." What does it mean? The house of Paroi. Doz manach This is your simon. Base. Hear these words. Why? What does it really mean? The house of Paro? Here we get a little, a little, a little, a little, a little. uh Clue, a little opening to what is the great, 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 infinitely higher great, great grandfather of Paro. Meaning as it as it is in its kedusha in holiness, before it it metamorphosizes into Paro. So what is it? base is galnyamine kol paro means a house where it is revealed. Ispirui means where it is. It bursts open. It is Isgalian Mene, and it's first of all, it's exposed and it's revealed from it all lights, v'chol b'tzinun, and all lamps, all spiritual lights and all spiritual illuminations, all lamps, are emanating from this place. Talking about every light, what are we trying to do through all of Torah and all of mitzvahs? We're bringing down a light. He does a mitzvah, and he lightens up the whole world. A Jew learns Torah, he light. When a Jew davens, he elicits God's light, as Hashem blesses, bless a all the lights, everything comes from this place. Beysa paroi. Paroi means exposed, open, revealed. And the God of Zorah goes more than that. Not only do revealed lights come from there, this is the window from where all light emanates, but De mitam Gale. Everything that has ever been concealed from there, it reveals. In other words, generally, if you go to all the other windows, there are many other windows in heaven from where lights come. But over there, everything is very, very measured. Everything is very, very, um, um, everything comes through a lot of consideration whether the window should open, whether light should come or light should not come, and how much should come. Not from this window. This is a place where all hidden lights are revealed. This is like the highest of the high, the deepest of the deep, is Beisoparoy. And this is what it means, Vaakoyl Nishma. The voice of the Shechinah, the voice of the brothers crying, Yosef crying, the voice. Whatever that voice meant, as we said before, it has so much higher meaning than what we think. Where is it heard? Beisah so Paroi. Paroi answers the prayers. This is the source from where all prayers are answered. This is the Paroi. Oh, so suddenly we get a whole different understanding that Paro can mean something else. Now we're going to get a little bit of a better understanding soon. What does this mean? What is the the Zohar talking about? Particularly to call it Paro, what does it mean, Paro? And maybe perhaps if we have a moment to speak about that, how does that translate into the tyrant Paro? Like, how how does that work? So we're going to get. We might get to that, but we will definitely. Okay. So, but at least you get a little understanding that when we're saying that Bo El Paro can mean something else, in addition to go visit Paro in his palace, it means go visit to the supernal Paro. To the source where all lights emanate from. Okay. So now, let's take a look at another Zohar. And the Zohar, and this is in this week's parsha. That was in parsha's Va'yigash. Here is in this week's parsha. i Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon says, Rabbi Shimon Ba'yachai, right, the author of the Zohar. Hashta. Now is the time. Isle Razin. Now is the time to reveal secrets. Let's reveal secrets that are connecting above and below. Reb Shimon Bar Yochai asks a question. Why does it say, come El Paro? Hashem is telling Moshe to go to Paro, to warn him. Go to Paro and warn him. By the way, it's interesting. If you learn Chumash, Hashem just says, go to Paro. He doesn't even tell him for what. just says, go to Paro because I hardened his heart. Then it says Moshe came to Paro and he warned them that the locusts are coming, that the that the, 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 the Arbe, Makis Arba is coming. But when God says to them, Boa, Paro actually doesn't say for what. It just says go to him because I... Okay. So there must be a secret in this going to Paro. But again, it doesn't say go to Paro, it says come to Paro. So Rabbi Shimon Ba Yochai asks, why does it say Boa, Paro, not Lechel Paro. Leich, el-paro. Leich el-paro Me Paro, my boy, what does it say, come of Surah Shimon B'Yachai answers. And again, his answer, this passage of Zohar, is going to speak about Paro, not as Paro is in the supernal worlds of holiness, as we just mentioned. But this Zohar is saying that it's talking about, because obviously when the Zohar says, whenever it says Paro, it's meaning Paro up there. The Zohar is, is not telling you that you should stop learning Chumash with Rashi and now see everything only in the spiritual realms. If they realize that the Torah is multi dimensional. And multi-layered. So there's all these meanings simultaneously. So the Zohar now gives you a period. Why does it say, come up to Paro, not go to Paro? So the Zohar says like this, What happened over here was that Moshe Rabbeinu got very terrified. Till now, Moshe visited Paro quite a few times. Maybe probably eight times or nine times. That Moshe had already visited Paro up to this point. But every time... Moshe wasn't scared to go. Because God sent him. Why is he scared to go? He wasn't afraid. This is the one time that Moshe was scared. Why? Because up till now, whenever Moshe went to Paro, he went to visit him. More, when Paro was, went out in the morning, on his morning excursions to the river. Uh, outer, he went, he went to see him kind of in the gardens of Paro. He never went into the inner chamber of Paro. He never went in. This time Hashem said, I'm bringing you in I'm taking you into the inner, 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 inner chamber of paro. Now, the Zohar says, Now, meant not only the physical paro, but I'm taking you to the spiritual paro. But when we say spiritual, I don't mean over here holy. I'm meaning the spiritual source of wicked paro. Which means I'm taking you into darkness. And Hashem says, I'm going to show you the face of the monster himself in all of his ugliness. To this big snake, we're going to see this, this terrifying crocodile, as it refers to Paroi, the big snake or the big fish, which is in the Nile, the crocodiles. And we're going to see the biggest crocodile ever to live. For many levels emanate from him. This is this great, big, dark this is the snake. You might say this is the original primordial snake. Let's go. I'm going to take you into a place. And what happens? And Moshe, Dochem and Moshe was terrified. You imagine, we would all be terrified. Who is going to visit the source of all evil, the root of all darkness? Because till now, Moshe only stepped close to the rivers, to the offshoots of Paro. He never visited King Paro as he is. In his source, he only met the manifestations of this evil, but not the source and the root of this evil. To him he was afraid and he didn't come close. Why? Begin the Because he saw that this evil is rooted in high supernal roots. He is deeply embedded in roots of impurity, in roots of darkness. Which means he saw that he has a lot of power. A lot of... Again, so let's not mistake this what we were talking about before. Before we were talking about Paro as he is sourced in holiness. This is what we're talking about, Paro, as he is spiritual, but a real evil, and an evil that is rooted in strong roots. When Hashem saw the Moshe, that Moshe was afraid, and Hashem can't send anybody to take down this dragon. This is such a fierce monster that there is no one, no one, no one, and all the spiritual angels, all the celestial beings, no one will dare confront him. So Moshe was scared to go also. Hashem said to him, Oma So God says, Hinani so I am going upon you, Pare Melch Mitrayam. Hatana Nagodo, the great monster, Haraich Vitahioirov, who crouches, who's swimming in his Nile river, claiming that he's God. The and God Himself needs to confront him and to wage war against him, Veloy achra, and no one else. And that's the meaning, Boal Pare, come with me, I'm gonna take him down. Okay? But now we understand according to that Why it says Boa Paro Because we're dealing with The very quintessence of evil Moshe is terrified Hashem says come with me Till now he wasn't scared Because he never went into The inner nucleus of Paro He went to the external parts Paro's um, uh, Whatever Extensions But not to the root okay. Now let's go back to what we said before If we say however That the Torah is studied on many levels Multi-layered So we said before that paro is the source from where all spiritual lights come from. Where all godly light emanates from. If that's the case, that's the spiritual, that's paro and holiness. We said before, all lights, all exposure comes from that place. If that's the case, so there we also have to say that Moshe was scared to go there. Again, if Moshe is scared to meet paro of darkness is also, the same interpretation has to be that Moshe is scared to come meet the paro of light. But the question is, why? That should be a place that everybody should want to go. If anybody, Moshe should want to go there. Moshe, David HaMelech says, when will I come? And I will see Pnei Lukim the face of God. Moshe I'm sure, is yearning. I'm thirsting, God. I want to see you. So Moshe wants to see Hashem. What does it mean that Moshe is scared if we learn that paro is, as we said earlier, the espiru where it shoots forth and it is exposed all lights. And the answer is, let's understand for one moment, what does it mean, a place from where all lights come from. And then we'll understand why this paro is much scarier than the other paro, as, as dangerous and as frightening his fangs are, and the fire coming out of his mouth. That's all peanuts In compare to the holy paro and why Moshe was terrified. And the answer is like this. Generally, God set up a system that all emanations and all illuminations that come from Hashem to the world are tailored in a manner in which they should not overwhelm and destroy the creation. You see, God has a problem. He's infinite and boundless and endless. And we and the world are finite and limited. So give a little bit too much light and boom! We can't handle it. So the system is systemized in a manner that every time God will extend any kind of hashpa, any kind of flow, any type of emanation, any kind of projection of energy towards the world, He doesn't want to destroy it. So He gives to every world and to every place that which it can receive. It has to be compatible, it has to be commensurate, it has to be tailored to the limitations of that particular creature and that particular being. Now like we know that Hashem gives in each and every one of us the brachas that we need, the blessings that we need. I know everybody's dreaming about the 1.4 billion. But I don't know if we can all handle that. I'm saying, yeah, I for sure can handle it. We don't know. In any case, Hashem should definitely bench a nice Jewish philanthropist at least, or the one who, with, with, that, with that money. That's a bracha. Um In any case, the does the, 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 the blessings come in a manner in which a person could, 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 could take it. Not, not, or the world can receive it. That's the general rule That means that Hashem operates through a powerful, powerful, powerful filter. And that's the way it is, and even we know in our lives, if you're a teacher, you want to teach your students something that they can handle. If it's too much, too high, too powerful, boom. It might cause the student never to return, because you're just going to overload. If you smother someone with too much love and they're not ready for it, you can have them run away and never come back again. So it's in every relationship, and God, of course, is the master teacher So when he gives light, it's always directed to the and it's always controlled. However, there are times in which there is a requirement for a transcendental projection, for a higher life that's bigger than the container, bigger than the vessel. For whatever, when a miracle has to happen, something has to break the norm. So then it requires. But how does it happen? If there is a filter, so in order to bypass the filter. All those emanations that come from what we call that are transcendental, meaning bigger than the vessel, higher than it can take, all those emanations need to come from a certain place within Hashem that can override the very rules and regulations that Hashem Himself made. A little example for that, you go into the bank, and you want to do a certain transaction, and the teller that's standing over there tells you, nope, can't do that for you yeah whatever let's say they're holding the funds because that's just the way it is for whatever reason but you say and you really need. so if, uh, if you're lucky and you find favor in the eyes of the teller so they'll call over the manager and the manager will come over and puts in a little code and overrides the system and it allows for the for the funds to be available immediately for the deposit to happen for whatever the transfer to happen or whatever it is so there is a higher force a higher that can override the, the regular rules so, in order to override the general stiff, limited projections of the divine into the world, there is a manager above that can, can, can go, bypass the very rules that Hashem has set up, that, he, that the system is embedded in the system. That overriding power, that's paro. That's the supernal paro. The place, that's what the Zohar says, a place where all lights come from. And the Zohar says, and when it uses, it doesn't just use the term that the lights come from there. It uses the term ispiruye. Ispiruye means the lights emanate from there, not in an orderly fashion. It's a place where everything is exposed and where all secrets are revealed where everything comes together every light every emanation there's no consideration so to speak to the limitations of the vessel because for whatever reason that's when you knock on Paro's door when you need something that based on the regulatory systems of creation it's too much creation can't handle it it says one time the angels misbehaved, and God needed to teach them a lesson so he stuck his little pinky out that's what the Gemara the, the, the says Medr says and he burnt them all. They were all blue a fuse. And Kabbalah says, that, what does that mean the little pinky? There are ten sephirot ten attributes. The last of the attributes is the smallest one, Is called Malchus. And that is a powerful, powerful filter. But for whatever reason, there was a time where they needed a lesson, so he stuck his pinky out, which means Malchus loosened its filter, and more light went out, and it zapped them, and gone all these angels. Now, in order to do that, you needed approval from the manager. Who is the chief manager, the source of all sources? That's God Himself. And that is paro. That's the spiritual, supernal paro. In where, where we say, the root of all roots, in where there is no systems, because ultimately, God is not limited by any systems. And ultimately, Hashem can do whatever He wants. So even though He set up a world with certain logical systems, He is not bound by that very logic that he created. He can emanate whatever he wants to do because God is not limited to the finite. He's also not limited to the infinite. He doesn't have to be infinite, doesn't have to be finite because you can't define him neither by the infinite or the finite. He has no definitions at all and therefore he's a kol yachl, can do whatever he wants and that's what base Paro is. Now you understand that if that powerful, all-powerful being who does whatever he wants... If a spark from that falls down, so to speak, crashes, and ends up in a human being, you can understand why he's such a monster. You see, he has no rules and regulations. He does whatever he wants. And there's no system that can contain him. So he becomes a total tyrant. You see, as it gets becomes an egomaniac, a total lunatic, that became pyro. But in its original sources, this is a source of such holiness and such godliness. Now we'll understand what does it mean. When the Pasek says, Bo el paroi, come to paroi. What is, what is he really saying to him? Bo el paroi means, Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to go, I want you to go into paroi. Which means, I want you to go visit this paroi. <laughs> so now we can understand for one moment, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Gewald, Please you're asking me as a human being, a physical human being, I know I'm Moshe maybe I have like pretty awesome powers, right? But I'm still a human being in a body. And you want me to go to a place, you want me to stand right at the mouth of a gushing volcano. You want me to stand right by the Niagara Falls, right where the waters is coming, boom, and I should just stand there and receive the light. It's impossible. I can't go there this light is going to blind me, destroy me, shred me to pieces. Precisely because of its intensity, because it's so holy, it's so powerful. Since it emanates light, not commensurate to the vessels, not considering the limitations, this is the source where everything goes. Wild, pure, wild, unrestrained, unlimited, undefined, gushing flow of godly blessing and godly light. Who can receive that? Moshe says, Gevald, I can't go there. And Hashem says, Who says you can't? Hashem says, Of course you can't. You're right, you can't. But that's why, Pare, come in with me. I'm going to take you. Because who is the source of the infinite? Who is the source of this boundless, endless force? Me. Who is the source of your tiny little body? Yes, your Moshe is a physical body made out of limbs, bones, and flesh, and a little brain. Who created that? Me, being that I create the infinite and I design the finite. I have no limitations, and I can do whatever I want. And I can take this tiny little bucket or this tiny little being and put him in the face of this infinite light, and you will not be destroyed. You're right; you can't do it on your own. But boy, I'll pare, come with me. From God's very essence, there are no rules. And he can do whatever he wants. He says to Moshe, come with me, al And that's why Moshe, this makes perfectly sense based on this deeper understanding. You wonder why Moshe let Pare speak with such chutzpah to him. Pari says to Moshe, after nine plagues, you dear see my face ever again, you see my face ever again, you will die. Okay, he's still the king of Egypt, but Moshe had him already begging, crawling on his feet kind of a bunch of times already. Right? So now, why does Moshe say to him, the day you will, the day you will, now Paro says to him, the day you will see my face, you will, and Moshe says, you're right, that I will not see your face ever again. But now we understand. Because Paro says to Moshe, you can't see my face. You cannot come into the very, very, very pure, unadulterated, unfiltered, infinite, gushing light of God. It says in the passage, kilo v'chayi. No human being can see me and be alive and survive. You can't. And Moshe says, "I won't. I can't." With his own power, he can't. With with the power of Paro himself, with the power of Hashem himself, who says to him, "Come, I'll take you to the manager. I'll take you to that window. I'll take you to that place." Then he could, because Hashem can do the impossible. Notice we have to understand that this is really essentially impossible. This doesn't make any sense. If the spiritual worlds that are so high and so great, if angels and higher than angels and higher and attributes and the highest, we don't even know these levels of these worlds, cannot facilitate such life, how can a tiny little human being living on planet earth, living in a physical body do that? He can't. The day you will come here, you will die. But yet, Hashem says, we will do the impossible. We will do that which cannot be done and yet we will do it. Hashem says to Moshe, Boy, oh, i come to par. But another question is, why? Why is this so important? Why, why did Hashem, and why was this like, the, this was like, we said earlier, an amazing thing. We said earlier that Hashem didn't tell Moshe what to do when he comes to Paru. He just said, go to Paru." It's a sign that just going to this very, very, very powerful place, that itself is the purpose. That itself is the purpose. Why? And that is necessary, and that is so important, that that's the name of the parsha of the Exodus, telling you, that this is the root, this is the nucleus of the Geula. This is what the whole Geula is all about, that you should go to Parai. And the answer is, the idea is like this. The going out of Mitzrayim had a purpose. What's the purpose of going out of Egypt? The receiving of the Torah. What is the receiving of the Torah? We all are the rece- We stood by Sinai, we received the Torah. Today's days we learn Torah, we do mitzvahs. What really is the Torah? So the truth is, the Torah is, Hashem Himself takes His deepest, inner, highest self, His wisdom, His will, which are essentially who He is, and He conveys Himself down to us. That we should be able to assimilate, assimilate Him, Him, God's very self, Not in our souls when they're in heaven. Not when we're in Gan Eden, when we don't have a body. But when we have a physical body that craves a tuna fish sandwich. Ridiculous. And wants a pickle too. That crazy body that is so petty, small, limited, defined, constricted. That body do a mitzvah. And, 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 and not connect to God in a manner where you fast and you go into some kind of a, I don't know what, an ashram and put candles and sing songs and then you start s- put smoke uh, and then starts kind of like, I don't know what it's called, le- levitating. I think that's the word, right? Higher and higher. Until you're not in your body. You have this extra body, outer body experience. Shoo, and you're up there. That's not what God wanted. He wanted you in your most physical day-to-day activities. You in your kitchen, you in your bedroom, you when you're doing exercise, you when you're shopping. You and your physical body as you are to connect with Him. With his very self and every mitzvah and every and it's not your neshama that's becoming one with him. Your body is becoming one with him. And when you're doing mitzvah through Torah mitzvahs, it is revealed that Hashem and the Jewish people are one. Not our neshamas, not our souls, our bodies. That's why the ultimate reward for the Jewish people is not neshamas and Eden. Every neshama is gonna come back down in a body. That means that the ultimate state, the ultimate purpose of creation, where God is gonna reveal His light in the world, it's gonna to be to neshama in bodies. And that means that the body and God are totally one. Our bodies, physicality and, the, and Hashem are totally one. That's gonna be revealed when Mashiach comes, but it's what we're doing now from when we started learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. We are doing awesomely godly things with our tiny little bodies. And yet, and before the Torah was given, it was impossible. Before the Torah was given, there was an infinite gap. An endless, endless, endless distance. And physical was the furthest possible entity from Hashem. It couldn't get further. And it was impossible to bring any spirituality into the physical. Physicality was so dense, so removed, so stuck up in itself. And now we're saying, not only does the physical become spiritual, but the spiritual becomes godly. And not only does it become godly, but it becomes the body and Hashem become totally one. Or revealed how they were always one. That's the purpose. You say, but that's crazy! That's nuts! That's ridiculous! Yes! And Hashem says, that's what I desire. And that's the purpose of all of creation. And that's the purpose of all of existence. Me and you, you, me as I am infinitely, endlessly, undescribably big and endless, you as you are infinitesimally small will reveal how I, I, me and you are one because I transcend both being big and small so I can be you and you can be me. And you are me. Wow in order for that to happen, that is Bo El Paro. That's exactly this. Come to Paro. Come to a place. Because that's what... See, in Torah and mitzvahs, God is not using the system of tzimtzum and and, and and filters. In Torah and mitzvahs, God is giving everything. Anochi, the first word of the Torah. I, the, the medrash says... Ana, the word anochi stands for an acronym. Ana, me, nafshi, my soul. Ksavis, I've inscribed myself into this. Yehavis, I have given it to you. I have given you my very me. And there's nothing of me that I left behind. There's nothing of God that remains outside of Torah mitzvahs. So there's nothing of Hashem that is outside of you. You are all of Him and He is all of you. That's... Where does that come from? That comes from Beis of Paro, the house of Paro. So that's why we needed the first Jew who's now going to initiate the giving of the Torah, the leader of the Jewish people, who is the heart of the Jewish people, the, the, the Melech, the leader, he is the heart, he is the soul, he is the brain of the Jewish people. He needs to walk into that place, to Paro himself. So Hashem says, So this is not just another nice thing. This is the whole purpose. So that's why when this was a major, a major step towards the giving of the Torah, when Moshe went into Paro, he broke all rules and all norms by going into Paro. And he was the trailblazer for all of us to follow 40, 50 days later, I mean, a little bit after that. 60 days I don't know how long after Makkas Araba, after the Boa Paro happened we all followed and we stood by Har Sinai and we had that same revelation and we're having that revelation today we're having that union today and that is Boa Paro in its deepest in its its higher meaning for each and every one of us and so it's an integral part of the giving of Torah now it's possible to say it's possible to say not only, but this is, this is like this. is really crazy. The true pre-introduction, the pre-introduction to this wasn't when Moshe went to Paro. It really began when all the Jewish people went down to exile and we were enslaved by Paro. You see, in order for us to become vessels, to be able to receive the holy Paro, as ridiculous as it is, we were enslaved and suffered by. That just teaches us that when we go through things in life and we don't can't fathom. Why in the world is there a Hitler has for Why in the world is there this? We see all that, all that, all that, that if Paro is that Paro, and there's some kind of a connection, and in some way or another, we can never get to that Paro, and receive the Torah, had we not been enslaved by Paro the maniac. But it is connected. In God's mysterious, unfathomable wisdom, it is connected. And by the way, this, when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, come to Paro, as we said before, the deepest innermost of God Himself. Come in, and I'm going to take you there. That actually is the empowerment for Moshe to be able to confront the very dark Paro. You see, by Moshe coming to the Paro of holiness, he's able to take on the Paro of darkness, that nasty, ferocious crocodile that he was so terrified from. You see, because you see, the Zohar says an interesting thing, that the power of a wicked person, the power of a real monster, where do they have such power? You see from this week's parasha, that's emanating from God's, God gives them the power. Because it says this week in the parasha, Bo'ya ki Meaning his power, don't think it's his. I am. It's coming from God's very self that he's empowering the wicked. For whatever reason. Therefore, as the Zohar says, no one can fight him. You can't fight him. The only way you can fight them is only Hashem can fight him. That's why Hashem says, come to me, come into my essence, become one with me, and when you become one with me, then you can go take down paro, and you will destroy that paro, the paro of the, the unholy, because you're unified with me. And this is telling us a very interesting thing. We all struggle with paros in our life. Mainly internal paros. Baruch Hashem were not that much engaged, like the Jews had to deal with throughout the exile, with all kinds of different manifestations of power. We're living in a free country. Generally, we live our lives unhindered by, through the persecution and whatever. But we have internal paros. And some of them are so wicked and so frightening that we're terrified. We try so hard to get rid of a certain behavior, a certain addiction, a certain uh, a certain attitude, a certain uh, whatever, and, and we work so hard on breaking it and breaking it, and we, we keep on failing. And at a certain point, we want to throw in the towel and just give up because there's no way we can deal with this Yetzirah, with this evil inclination, with this monster inside of us. And you know what the word that Hashem speaks tells each and every one of us? Boyal pare, come to pare. What does that mean, come to pari? Let's stop a minute. I know you have darkness in your life. I know you feel that every few minutes you get bitten by this ferocious monster. And you don't know what to do and you're so down on yourself. You have such frustration and you don't think you'll ever get out of this darkness. You just don't, you can't. You just feel like you're trapped. Can't get out of it. Stop with fighting the negative for a moment. Bo el paro, come. To meet, Hashem says to every Jew, because every Jew has Moshe inside of him, Bo El come meet me. Come meet me at my core. Come through Torah and mitzvahs, unify with me, do a mitzvah. Stop. Do a mitzvah, do a mitzvah. When you're putting on in tomorrow, Bo El don't. See, here's the, here's the thing, Hashem is saying, don't limit yourself. Don't think... That, that 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 your spirituality that you're connecting to is only what you feel and what you know. No, 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 no. Every mitzvah is rooted in the divine essence. Boy El paray, come and become one with me. At this point, when you're putting on, fill in your head and my head are one. Your hand and my hand on one. Stop limiting yourself. Boy El Paroi, come to me. You're putting you're lighting Shabbos candles this week, you're holding the candle. Don't stop, boy el come to Paro, unify with Paro. For and where all lights emanate from. Reach to the root of roots of roots of everything. Understand that at this moment you're limitless and boundless and one and bound up with me. Learn when you're saying, when you're Davening tomorrow, when you start Davening, don't Don't get stuck here there. Recognize. Baruch ata Hashem. Ata you. Bo El paroi. Go all the way in. Go in as we said before from the Zohar. Idrin Lithnime idrin. Don't stop. Go to the very core. Just like in the negative it meant go into the root to the soul of evil. Go into the soul and the root of goodness. Reach in and connect to God. And when did Hashem say this to Moshe? He didn't say this to Moshe after he went out of Egypt. He said this to Moshe when Moshe was still in a state when he's trembling from the monster. Which really means in our lives, even when you're still trembling, even when you feel lowly, even when you feel dark, even when you feel bitten and bruised and still enslaved to paro, come with me, boy el paroi. Come with me when you daven, when you learn, when you give tzedakah. Don't stop. Come, boy el paroi. When you make that connection, you have no then you had not have to be afraid of the other paro. Because now, as you're unified with God, then he's powerless. Because Hashem says, I myself will take him down. In other words, let's stop focusing on what we have to stop doing. Let's focus a little bit more on what we should be doing. With the understanding, with the understanding, here's what we need to understand. You see, we've been learning Torah and doing mitzvahs all the years. But now we have to start learning Torah and doing mitzvahs in a different way. In a way, that's Mashiach, You see, up till now, we were here and God was there and we were doing some kind of a mitzvah or whatever. No, it's not that way anymore. Yes, I'm suggesting that your Torah and mitzvah is going to be not greater than your grandmothers and great-grandmothers, not greater than your... Billion, gazillion times greater. Why? Because you're living right before at the moment of Mashiach, at the time when it is revealed how Jews and God are totally one. Not your neshama, but your body your physical hands and feet, so when you're doing a mitzvah, you're totally unified with the Abishra himself. We don't have to stop seeing ourselves as tiny, small, little beings with all of our human weaknesses. We have to recognize that as a result of Matan Torah and as a result of all the mitzvahs that we've done, we are so awesomely holy and godly and our minds can never understand it at all. But that's just the reality. So Bo El Paro, Once that happens, now we get back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the class. Why did Paro, why did the Egyptians have to give the Jewish people the gold, the silver, out of their own volition, with their own ch, and the Jews have to find favor in their eyes? And the answer is very, very special. See, being that God's desire is to become, God wants to have a home in the lowest world, he wants physicality to be totally one with him, He wants us one day to wake up and say, who says the physical is so far? Maybe the physical is the ultimate expression of God himself. And all that godly light, it begins with the Jewish people, but ultimately it transfers into all of reality and into all of the world. This unification has to be in a manner in which it doesn't break and destroy the world. That's what we're talking about. Hashem wants us to become one with Him, but us remaining who we are. We're not becoming angels. We, be, we remain humans in the physical body. So ultimately our, uni- our fusion and our unification with God is not supposed to be in a manner where God has to, where the physical has to be crushed and destroyed, but it needs to be unified and elevated. That's why the ultimate achievement of this unification, which is going to be revealed when Mashiach comes, is in a manner in which even that which is dark in this world, even that which is super dark, even that which is the ugliest in this world, that too is revealed how it too is really just, ultimately godly and holy. And it too turns around. As we look in the world and we see pure ugliness, we don't have, we don't have to look too far, in today's world we do have a lot, that the media brings it to us all the time, we see extreme ugliness, and sadly, there are people who tell Jews and give lectures or talks of threatening people, of saying that, you know, who knows what has to happen and who knows what kind of destruction and world war wars and nuclear bombs and only those who will be very religious. And, uh, okay, the Jews have done a lot of mitzvahs. We're all very, very holy. And of course, we're all doing chuva all the time. And I'm not saying we don't have to better ourselves. We have to better ourselves. But not through threats. Not through dark threats. But through joy of doing a mitzvah. And here's the idea. Even that which is so negative in the world, which in our minds, the only way will be destroyed. How will we deal with Iran? And how will we deal with ISIS? And how will we deal with all these Islamist fascists? And how will we deal with all these... Klippus and Schwarz or whatever, there's out there these ugh, Al-Qaeda and this and that, and who knows what there has to be, and Armageddon and all that. That's all coming from a non-Jewish, from a Goyer cup. I'm sorry for using the term. That's where it comes from. It comes from Christianity, not from Judaism. In Judaism, I want to tell you the secret. What happened in the parsha? <laughs> Suddenly, out of nowhere, after they were... The Mitzrayim themselves are saying, Whoa! They came running with their gold and their jewelry. One moment, one moment, the miracle happened. Such a transformation. But since it wasn't the end of days yet, the world was not completed. It was only for a few minutes. And then they went back to being Egyptians and they came chasing after them. So it was like for one moment they had like a, 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 they became like, um, they had some kind of a, 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 I don't know what you'd call it. They had some kind of a uh, transformation, but it was for a moment only. But since now we're after thousands of years of exile when the world and Torah mitzvahs, the world is refined already, the world is purified. So yes, believe it's possible. And guess what? It's probably going to happen. ISIS and and, and, Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah and Hamas, and all these people will be running and bringing Jews gold and silver and bringing the Jewish people to Mashiach and be involved in using all that their resources that they have. How is that possible? Well, do you understand how it was possible that the Egyptians, that the Egyptians suddenly saw favor in the Jewish people after they decimated them and came bringing gold and silver? I'm not saying that there might be some elements of evil that are going to be destroyed but all the silliness of destruction and killing and uh, this doesn't have to be, this is God's world, at the root of everything there is a spark of holiness there is kedusha, and all that can show itself, all you need is the lights to be turned on, all it needs for suddenly an illumination and everybody sees the immense holiness of the Jewish people everybody sees the immense contribution that we did for this world, and all anti Semites will suddenly love Israel, and love the Jewish people with such love, and such admiration. And everything will be turned around, just like in Mitzrayim. That's why by Egypt it was so important. It had to come dafka, that you will give gold and silver. You will give the cattle, the lot, because the negative has to convert to Kedusha. And again, by Yitzhius and by the Egyptian redemption exodus, it was in a limited form. But now, it's going to be in its complete state. It doesn't have to make sense in our minds, we don't have to understand how it's going to happen, but so it will be, that once holding, once the trigger, whatever that is, that one last mitzvah that we need to do, that one last bayal paro for a Jew, one last connection that needs to be made, and all the light will come gushing forth from everywhere, and such truth will be revealed, and suddenly all the kalippah and all the darkness will, dis- will disappear in a minute, will evaporate, and we won't know what happened. How is it possible that a world that had so much ugliness has become the most beautiful garden for Hashem? And all of humanity crying out, Hashem yimloch le'olam va'ed, that God should live, God and the Jewish people will, should be and will be forever and ever in great light and in great happiness May we merit to see it now.